0: Thank you so much Patrick and company. Before our kids go to our children's practice I wanted to have a chance to have you kids come on up here and welcome to Christmas time. We are going to have a little bit of story time. It's kind of like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood moment, okay? So if you are a kid and you think you classify as a kid, uh, I would invite you to come on up. You can come right up and hang out right up here if you want. I'm going to read a story to you, okay? So I won't, uh, I, might, I might bite some of you. And if you're a parent and you want to come with your kid, you're welcome to come with a kid. If you think it would be more entertaining, if you're not with your kid, then don't come with your kid. All right. Hey, hey, guys. Yep. Come on right over here. Here you go. We're going to look at the screen here, okay? Make sure you can see the screen, whatever you do, okay? Make sure you can see the screen. Doesn't that look great right now? Come on. Doesn't that look great? Doesn't the screen look good? No? Come on. Hey, come on right here, young lady. Wonderful. All right. Well, good to have you guys. All right. We're going to tell you a story quick, all right? We're going to show it on the screen. We're going to read it to you. And then I'm going to ask you a question at the end, okay? Here's the question we're going to ask you at the end I'm going to ask you, what changed in this story? Make sense? No, oh, it's a big question. Okay, here we go. This is going to be fun. Here we go. You may know this story. Here we go. Dr. Seuss wrote this story. He said, Every Who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot. But the Grinch who lived just north of Whoville did not... The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. But I think the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. But whatever the reason, his heart or his shoes, he stood there on Christmas Eve hating the Who's, staring down from his cave with a sour, grinchy frown at the warm, lighted windows below in their town, for he knew every Who down in Whoville beneath was busy now hanging a mistletoe wreath. And they're hanging their stockings, he snarled with a sneer, tomorrow's Christmas, it's practically here. Then he growled with his Grinch fingers, nervously drumming, I must find some way to stop Christmas from coming, for tomorrow. He knew all the Who girls and boys would wake bright and early. They'd rush for their toys, and then, oh, the noise, oh, the noise, 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 noise. That's one thing he hated, the noise, 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 noise. Then the Who's, young and old, would sit down to a feast, and they'd feast, and they'd feast, and they'd feast, 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 feast. feast. They would feast on Who pudding and rare Who roast beast, which was something the Grinch could not stand in the least. And then they'd do something he'd like least of all. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, would stand close together. With Christmas bells ringing, they'd stand hand in hand, and the who's would start singing. They'd sing, and they'd sing, and they'd sing, 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 sing. And the more the Grinch thought of this who Christmas sing, the more the Grinch thought, I must stop this whole thing. Why, for 53 years, I put up with it now. I must stop this Christmas from coming. But How? Then he got an idea, an awful idea. The Grinch got a wonderful, awful idea. I know just what to do. The Grinch laughed in his throat, and he made a quick Santa Claus hat and a coat. And he chuckled and clucked, and what a great Grinchy trick. With this coat and this hat, I'll look just like Saint Nick. All I need is a reindeer. The Grinch looked around, but since reindeer are scarce, there was none to be found. Did that stop the old Grinch? No, the Grinch simply said, "'If I can't find a reindeer, I'll make one instead.' So he called his dog Max. He took some red thread and he tied a big horn on the top of his head. Then he loaded some bags and some old empty sacks on a ramshackle sleigh and he hitched up old Max. Then the Grinch said, "'Get up!' And the sleigh started down toward the home where the Hoos lay a snooze in their town. Then he loaded some bags. Whoop! hold on, they were already there. They were snooping in their town. And all the windows were dark." Quiet snow filled the air. All the Whos were all dreaming sweet dreams without care. And when he came to the first little house on the square, this is stop number one, the old Grinchy Claus hissed as he climbed to the roof, empty bags in his fist. Then he slid down the chimney, a rather tight pinch, but if Santa could do it, then so could the Grinch. He got stuck only once for a moment or two, and then he stuck his head out of the fireplace flue where the little Who stockings all hung in a row. These stockings, he Grinched, are the first things to go. Then he slithered and slunk with a smile most unpleasant around the whole room, and he took every present, pop guns and bicycles, roller skates and drums, checkerboards, tricycles, popcorns and plums, and he stuffed them in bags, and the Grinch, very nimbly, stuffed all the bags one by one up the chimbley. Then he slunk to the icebox, he took the Who's feast, he took the Who pudding, he took the roast beast. He cleaned out that icebox as quick as a flash, and while the Grinch even took their last can of Who hash. Then he stuffed all the food up the chimney with glee, and now, grinned the Grinch, I will stuff up the tree. And the Grinch grabbed the tree, and he started to shove when he heard a small sound like the coo of a dove. He turned around fast, and he saw a small hoo. Little, little Cindy Lou Who was not more than two. The Grinch had been caught by this tiny who daughter who'd got out of bed for a cup of cold water. She stared at the Grinch and said, Santa Claus, why? Why are you taking our Christmas tree? Why? But you know that old Grinch was so smart and so slick, he thought up a lie, and he thought it up quick. Why, my sweet little tot, the fake Santa Claus lied, there's a light on this tree that won't light on one side, so I'm taking it home to my workshop, my dear. I'll fix it up there, and then I'll bring it back here. And his fib fooled the child, and he patted her head, and he got her a drink, and he sent her to bed. And when Cindy Lou, who went to bed with her cup, he went to the chimney and stuffed the tree up. Then the last thing he took was a log for their fire, and then he went up the chimney himself, the old liar. On the walls, he left nothing but hooks and some wire, and one speck of food that he left in the house was a crumb that was even too small for a mouse. Then he did the same thing to the other whose houses, leaving crumbs much too small for the other whose mouses. It was quarter past dawn, and all the who's still a bed, all the who's still a snooze, and he packed up his sled. Packed it up with their presents, the ribbons, the wrappings, the tags, and the tinsel, the trimmings, the trappings. 3,000 feet up, up the side of Mount Crumpet, he rode with his load to the tip-top to dump it. Poo-poo to the Hoos, he was grinchishly humming. They're finding out now that no Christmas is coming. They're just waking up. I know just what they'll do. Their mouths will hang open a minute or two, and then the Hoos down in Hooville will all cry, boo-hoo. That's a noise, grinned the Grinch, that I simply must So he paused, and the Grinch put his hand to his ear, and he did hear a sound rising over the snow. It started in low, and then it started to grow. But this sound wasn't sad. Why, this sound sounded merry. It couldn't be so, but it was merry. Very. He stared down at Whoville, and the Grinch popped his eyes. Then he shook. What he saw was a shocking surprise. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing. "...without any presents at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet ice-cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled three hours until his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before." Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas perhaps means a little bit more. And what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say, that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And the minute his heart didn't feel quite so tight, he whizzed with his load through the bright morning light, and he brought back the toys and the food for the feast. And he, he himself, the Grinch carved the roast beast. That is the Grinch who stole Christmas. You ever hear that story before? Yes. Yeah. We have the movie. That's awesome. Let me ask you this question. What changed in the story of the Grinch? What changed? Ooh, hold, well, we have an answer. Did you guys hear that? What changed? The Grinch's thoughts changed, and what changed about him? What made his thoughts change? All right, Evan just laid it out. Look at it, look at the page again, guys, look at the page. We were just here, remember this? And then, what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say that the Grinch's small heart grew, how big? How many sizes? Grew three sizes that day. The minute his heart didn't feel quite so tight, he whizzed with his load through the bright morning light and he brought back the toys and the food for the feast and he, he himself, carved the roast beast. You know what, guys? Look here for a second, okay? This story reminds us of something very important that God teaches us. And that is that our hearts are the most important thing that we have to protect. In fact, God tells us in the Bible, here, Drew, why don't you come sit with me, bud? He tells us in the Bible that, he says, above all else, he says, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. In other words, guard the thing inside of you. Guard your heart. Protect that, because that's the most important thing. And on this Christmas, the Grinch's heart grew three sizes. And you know why that's important? Here's why that's important. When we give, not when we get is when we grow. Can you guys say that with me? Here's what I want you to say. When I give, not when I get, is when I grow. When I give, not when I get, is when I grow. We say that that actually kind of rhymes. When I give, not when I get, is when I grow. All right, little we're a little more enthusiasm this time. Ready? When I give, not when I get, is when I grow. One more time. When I give, not when I get, is when I grow. Now let's say it with a little bit of attitude this time. Okay, and we're gonna we're gonna add a little bit of mm hmm at the end. All right, here's what it's gonna sound like. When I give, not when I get, is when I grow. Mm hmm. All right, we do that. Ready? I want to hear that little laugh. I think you got that in you. Here we go. Ready? When I give, not when I get, is when I grow. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Come on now. Here we go. Ready? Last time. When I give, not when I get, is when I grow. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, this week, I want you to look for a chance to give to someone right around you. Give time to your mom or your dad, your sister, your brother. Help them with the dishes. Help with the dog. Help around your house. Give part of yourself to people around you. All right, guys? Sound good? You guys were awesome this morning. How about a hand for our crew here this morning? Thank you guys for being here. Listen, some of you are now going to go down to children's uh, Christmas program practice. So if that's you and you're practicing for the kids program, you can head right down. If that's not you, you're welcome to head right back to mom and dad. All right. Oh, boy. Uh, Which way to go? All right. All right. That was awesome. All right. It's a lot of fun being up here. You guys should all sit up here sometime. You never know what's going to come. This was kind of neat. Uh, thanks for being here this morning. Glad to have you. Um, we are starting a new series today, which I'm going to explain in a minute. But I um, appreciate you sitting through and listening to that story as well, because did you know, and you may already know this, did you know there was a, a day in the history of humanity when humanity's collective heart shrunk a couple of sizes? There was a day in our history as humans where our our hearts shrunk in size. And that day, the Bible teaches us, and Christians believe that that day was the day in the Garden of Eden when God placed Adam and Eve in a perfect environment to be in full relationship with him on that day when Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command not to eat from the tree in the middle of the garden, that they kind of fell from... This place up here, this ideal place where God had made them and created them to be, they were cast out of and sent out of that garden for good. To live in a place that in this series I'm simply going to call Grinchland. Live in a place in which the people who live here now are selfish. The people who live now, their hearts have shrunk. The people who live here now in Grinchland have been impacted by the result of sin. Whereas the people up here in the garden have the opportunity to be in full relationship with God, totally open, and enjoy Him forever. But the people now who live in Grinchland, our hearts have shrunk a couple of sizes. And every year at this time, at Christmas time, there's something in us that is pricked, Toward giving and generosity and thinking of others. And every year at Christmas time, there's something in us that says, you know, it would be a great idea to give, especially to the kids who are up here. Because Christmas becomes more about them than about older adults. It's about seeing the joy in them. Where do you think that generosity comes from? Where do you think the interest in giving, especially around Christmas, comes from? I might argue it comes right from where we were made. In fact, I would argue that it's a hearkening back for us to be more fully human than we often are without that thought. In other words, when the door of the garden was closed, so to speak, like, you can't go back to the garden, I can't go back to the garden, it doesn't happen. But God has done this for us around Christmas time. And this is what we celebrate. He has brought the garden to us. He has given to the people who live in Grinchland, the greatest gift of his son, Jesus Christ. He is brought... Back to us, the hope of fullness of relationship with God, inviting us back into a relationship with God in which we can experience the fullness of life. And so, this is why this series is entitled This Christmas in Grinchland. It's almost like God has taken Christmas and dropped it into the middle of humanity, as if there are a bunch of Grinches walking around looking for how they can function and going about their day thinking, impacted by the selfishness of the other Grinches around them and living lives with smaller hearts than we were made to live with. And thinking about our days and our responsibilities and our futures and our financial securities and thinking about the things that just kind of drive us. And somewhere in the middle of all of that busyness, God drops into that Christmas. He's like, hey, everybody, do you remember me? I want to know you and I want you to be known by me. I'm going to give to you a great gift at Christmas, the incarnation, big theological word, of Jesus Christ. God in flesh being put on this planet, dropped into the middle of our world to say, come, come back to the garden. Come back to know me. And here's what I want for us in this series as we're going to go through this four-part series on generosity. I believe a couple things. One, that we are made in the image of the God who created the garden that humanity was made in that image. And if that's true, that we're made in that image, and if that's true, then God is a generous God. And if God is a generous God, then I become more fully human when I reflect the generosity that has been hardwired into me. I become less human when I don't reflect the generosity that has been wired into me. That God's image, if he is an ultra-generous giver, has been wired into his creation, which is why our interest is piqued at Christmas to give to other people and see the joy that is there. Why? Not because you're moral or more, but because I believe the creator, God of the universe, is with a like an echo through time saying, I have made you to be this way, but not just at Christmas time. I have made you to be this way all the time to be extremely generous. And so I believe that the more generous we are, the more we fully experience the humanity that we were made for. But I also believe this, that we live in Grinchland. That we live in a world at which, by default, we are going to drift from what we were made for. Like we're just going to drift from that. We are not drawn toward generosity. We are not drawn to give away our things. and our, we're, we're drawn to self-preservation. We're drawn to protection. We're drawn to securing enough for ourselves. That's just part of how we survive. So there's a drift toward selfishness. But there's a pullback, especially at Christmas. And I want to leverage that to talk about generosity. If you want to summarize it, here's what I want for you. I hope you remember this at least. I don't want you to get old and crusty. I just don't want you to get old and crusty. I don't want you to get, get old and crusty and feel like, ah, I hesitate to give. Oh, they should earn more. That. Like, I'm not going to release my tight grip on my finances or on my. Like, I'm going to be, mm, I earned. Like, I need, they need to show that they prove. Like, can you imagine if God did that to us? Like, ah, I need to see if they're really worth my love before I send my only son to die on the cross for them without waiting to see our response to his incredible sacrifice, he gave everything to us. And so this is what I want for us to be drawn into the relationship with the God who's given so lavishly to us. I don't want us to get old and crusty. I don't want us to get old and look back and say, man, why didn't I, as an image bearer of God, carry out his values to other people? Because as I give, as I give to other people, it's like I'm giving a little bit of life to them in my generosity, I'm encouraging their creativity. I'm encouraging their future. I'm encouraging their innovation. I'm encouraging them to be young men and young women who can grow and mature and develop, to be people who can change their communities and impact the worlds around them. And in my generosity, I'm a life giver, just like God through his son Jesus Christ came that we may have life and have it to the fullest. And so what do I want for you? I want for us not to grow old and look back and say, man, Kind of cranky in my old age. Kind of crusty. Ah. Christmas in Grinchland. The time where we stop and say, wait a minute. What can we learn from the interest we already have in being generous at Christmas time? About how to live beyond that. We're going to look at it for four Sundays. Today, we want to look at our heart and what we love. Next week, I want to look with you at vision and what we see our future being. So this morning, I want to start with heart. Heart. We're going to jump right into not only Dr. Seuss. Thank you to Dr. Seuss for starting us with the kids. I want to jump into what Jesus has to say about this in the Gospel of Luke. And so if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible with you, no problem. There's one around you. There should be a Bible in the pew near you, and that's our gift to you. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to have that Bible. Luke is the fourth, um, excuse me, third book in the New Testament. Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, about two-thirds of the way into your Bible. Uh, Luke chapter 16 is going to be where we will land and spend a little bit of our time here this morning. All right. Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 10, and we're going to go through verse 16. Excuse me, verse 15. All right, Jesus is speaking. He's in the middle. We're just jumping right into the middle of a conversation Jesus is having. He says here, I'm reading from the New International Version. He says, "'Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches?' If you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? All right, let's put a pause on it there. Talk about those verses for a second. Look at verse 10 again with me, if you will. He's saying, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. And here's why that's important. Because we want to talk about generosity and the practice of being a generous person. There is a myth that goes something like this. When I get more... I will be able to give more. That's a myth. I might also call it a lie. When I get more, I'll be able to give more. Not true. In fact, if you don't give now out of the little that you have, you won't give later when you have more. And I think many of you know that because you've experienced that. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. If you can be trusted with very little then we can trust you with much. But if you don't develop the habits of generosity now, you won't all of a sudden develop them later. In fact, the inverse will be true. What will happen now, if in the stage of life you're in, if you don't develop habits of generosity now, it will be exponentially more difficult to develop them later. Because you will begin to believe that the reason that you have been blessed with so many financial means or whatever is because of your work and your effort. And then to have someone ask you to release that and free your hands of control from that later on will feel difficult. And your reaction will be, well, I worked for it. They can work for it too. And it's a myth. And here's what Jesus is saying. Now, wherever you find yourself right now generosity begins. It begins now. And then he goes on to say, and this is very convicting if I'm honest with it. Verse 11, I almost wish it wasn't even in the Bible, but here it is. Jesus said it, so I have to wrestle with it. Generally, I think. (laughs) No, not generally. Sometimes I'm facetious, and not everybody knows I'm being facetious. Jesus always speaks the truth. I was going to say, generally, I believe Jesus. But I believe him all the time, right? Like He speaks the truth. When Jesus talks, he's saying the truth. So I have to wrestle with this. And here's what he says in verse 11. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Isn't it crazy? Right here, Jesus draws a connection between your worldly wealth and spiritual riches. Chip Ingram used to say, handling material wealth is a prerequisite to being entrusted with spiritual wealth and rewards. Like, if you don't get it right with your money and resources now, spiritual wealth and riches will not come to you. This is crazy that Jesus ties this in, but that's exactly what he says in verse 11. If you haven't been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? It, it, it is a heart. Issue, and this is why Jesus drives on that. If your heart doesn't get right around the money that you have, you're not, your heart will never be ready to receive the true riches of the kingdom of God. It, you will not mature spiritually if this doesn't become right in your heart. It, that's what Jesus says. I don't like it, but it's there. I have to wrestle with it. And then he goes on to say in verse 13 No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Now put a pause on it there for a minute. What he's saying is, you you can't give your heart over fully to two separate things. I don't know if any of you have ever known someone who tried to um, date two girls at one time, or two guys at one time. How long does that work? (laughs) Has anyone ever known anybody who for their entire lifetime divided their hearts among two different people like that. Of course, it doesn't work. You, you can't date two people long-term and have it actually work because they want all of your heart and they want all of your heart. You can't give your heart to two different places. We just, that just makes sense. And Jesus leverages that and he says, no one can serve two masters. Either they'll hate the one and despise the other, or be devoted to one and not the other. And so then he goes on to clarify what he means and look at the end of verse 13. You cannot serve both God and the devil. Right? But isn't that what should be there? Isn't this odd? That Jesus would say, you can't serve both God and money. But that's not the opposite of God, Jesus. I mean, I know you're smart, but the opposite of God... Is the devil, not money, just in case you didn't know that. God, devil, you know, black, white, good, evil, you know, should we cover all that again? But Jesus says it differently. There's two masters vying for your heart, and here's what they are, and here's where they're opposite. God or money. Not God and the devil. God and money. Why does he say that? Again, Jesus is probably right, so I have to go with that. Jesus draws and pulls us into something here that is so helpful as we see the draw of money. And essentially he's saying this, a heart given over to God is going to be a heart that will grow in other-centeredness. You're going to grow in the garden, in relationship with God, in fullness of heart. You're going to start caring about the needs of those around you. This is the self-sacrificing love of God that draws him to even want to send to us his son Jesus Christ. That's what a heart given over to him will turn into, this other-centered, maturing, beautiful, generous heart. But then the heart given over to money, Jesus just pits as the direct opposite. A heart given over to money is going to be the heart that is selfish and closed and interested in my future, not necessarily yours, and gets smaller rather than larger as life goes on. And this is why there are opposites. You can't serve both God and should be the devil, but it isn't the devil. It is you can't serve both God and money. Jesus lays this out pretty strong and says the money is opposite to a heart given over to God. In other passages in the New Testament, someone like the Apostle Paul wrote this. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, he said, For the love of money, look at that love, that's a heart issue. The love of the money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In Matthew 13, 22, Jesus, telling a parable there, said this, The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is a man who hears the word but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Again, the impact of a heart given over to money, pursuits, and wealth is a heart that is not compatible with the kingdom of God. They are opposites. They don't kind of get along. They don't get along. They're opposites. They repel. They're not on the same page. They're not friends. They're not complementary. They're not different pieces of the puzzle. They just don't get along. People listening to Jesus were critical thinkers. They're like, this is a poor man talking to us. He doesn't even own a home. He doesn't actually even know where his next meal is coming from. He doesn't own a car. None of us own cars yet. But, when they're designed and developed, we will own a car and he will not. He doesn't have anything. And here's a poor man giving us a lecture about wealth and money. And here's what the Pharisees were saying in verse 14. Look back at your text. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus for that very reason. What does he have to say about this topic? He said to them, This again is so convicting. You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Ah. Jesus, tell them, you look fine to your peers. In fact, there are no peers of yours who are telling you that you have this wrong. Like Pharisees, listen up. There's no one around you who's telling you you're missing it. I'm telling you you're missing it. You don't have people around you who are disagreeing with how you're spending your money because we all kind of quietly agree to spend our money the same way. And so, no, you can justify yourself before men very easily. But God... Knows the heart. And this is why it is so difficult. He knows the heart, and what is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. So here's the question. This is a hard question to answer because it's so big. It's a question of what, what I love. This opening piece, this opening talk here in Christmas in Grinchland is really about the heart, about the condition of a heart related to God and money. I've told you already, my hope for you is that you don't get old and crusty. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for us. But here's where we start with the condition of our heart. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. We know the importance of the heart. It is just hard to see what's in our own hearts. It's just hard. It's just really hard. So this, I think, will help. Because the question is, how do I know How do I know if I love money or not? Because ideally, I'd like to sign up and say, no, I'm on the love God side, not the love money side, especially the way you put it this morning, Tim. I mean, boy, you'd have to be a fool to sign up for the love money part, right? Like no one would say that, especially in church. And no one would even say that leaving church necessarily. But here's Jesus' commendation to the Pharisees. He said, by the way, the people around you who know you best will justify your way of living. They're not going to challenge you on this. But God, who knows the heart, that's your audience. How in the world do I know what I love? Not just what I say I want to love, but what I actually do. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Pastor Kevin covered some of this last week. In chapter 5, verse 10, it gives a warning, but not only a warning, but also a description. Here's what we read there. Whoever loves money never has money enough. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This is a warning, and we understand the warning, and that is, don't try to keep accumulating because it's an empty pursuit. Fair enough. Not only is it a warning, but it's also a description of the person who loves money. The description is clear. Whoever loves wealth is described as someone who is not satisfied with their income. This is a helpful, clarifying question then to ask. It's a question of satisfaction. So instead of just asking what do I love, another question to nuance this for us is this question, when will I be satisfied? When will I be satisfied? And it wouldn't hurt to put a date on that one. Here's when I'm going to be satisfied with my financial future. After I get a 10% raise, after I get a new job that will land me this, after I pay off whatever, after I save for The person who loves money is described as someone who is a generally dissatisfied person with their resources. They feel like they don't have enough. They're not happy with that. They're dissatisfied with their income. Whoever loves money, whoever loves wealth is dissatisfied. Here's the question. When will I be satisfied? When will that happen? We often tend to think that the... um, the reality we, we tend to think is that getting more means is equal to getting ahead. Like if I get more, I'm going to get ahead. But the truth is, getting ahead does not equal getting. Excuse me. Getting more does not equal getting ahead. Getting better equals getting ahead. Not getting more. Here's what Paul writes in First uh, Timothy again. He says, "This godliness with contentment is great gain. Not godliness with a financial future is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You want to get more, get better. Don't get." more. You want to get ahead, get better, don't get more. If you want to get ahead, love gone with contentment is great gain. It's great gain. It's great gain. Now here's part of the problem. Um, Let me say this. I, I don't have all of the answers on this. I feel like in truth I have few because I feel like I share a struggle with you and that is a struggle of how do I press out what I really want to be true for me and my future. Like, I don't want to get to the end of life and look back and say, I, I missed it. I, my heart wants to love God with all that I have. But what does that look like? How do I make that work? I know this. In Grinchland, we tend to drift toward ourselves rather than toward God. Godliness with contentment, great gain. Absolutely. So here's a clarifying question on this issue. Because on this issue, I would like to sign up for this. I would like to say, I think that's me. I would like that to be true. Here's a clarifying question on this that might help you identify, is this you or not? Another question is this, how would it feel to give up one of my most valued possessions? How would it feel to you to give up something that you've been working for, something that you have saved for, something that you have owned for a long time? What would it feel like to you, and how would it feel to free yourself from and give away generously? How would that feel? Can I say that that would feel what? What does godliness with contentment is great gain mean? And if I begin to have a reaction to giving... Maybe I'm learning about the condition of my heart. I wonder what the Grinch was really thinking as he stood there on the top of Mount Crumpet with his sack of gifts from Whoville and began to hear the song of Whoville residents rising up, wafting up and hitting his ears and listening to them sing, beginning to think, They are satisfied, even with nothing. I just robbed them. I took away the things that I thought were most precious to them. I robbed them of their stuff, and they are satisfied. It's amazing. It's amazing. Here's what we know is true. We agreed with this earlier with the kids but I think it's true for us as adults too when I give not when I get is when I grow right when when I give not when I get is when I grow if you want to test your heart the litmus test of the heart is not what do I sign on to mentally but what am I willing to give what am I willing to do to give generously no one can serve two masters and we can be justified before men and how we live very easily. Jesus warns us on this. But Christmas in Grinchland comes. God sends Jesus to us that we may have life and have it to the full. And I want for you and I want for me to experience a fullness of humanity that comes not by being drawn into the selfishness of the world around us, but drawn into the heart of God who gives to us with such freedom that we can be drawn in to give to be people whose hearts are given over to generosity because we love God and his kingdom. When I give, not when I get, is when I grow. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the time to be in your word and to be able to reflect again on how you've made us what you've wired into us in terms of your image in us the generous part of your character and your person that you've put into us as humans and that is drawn out and pulled back at christmas time to to see again that we are we get great life and joy in giving to people and that's because you are a god who gives you've wired us that way so father help us to see this is true not just in december but for all of life. And Lord, may our hearts be hearts that are drawn to a love to this giving God, not drawn toward the love of money that we won't serve two masters. For some of us this morning, we might need to give something away, quite honestly. We might need to step up our giving in that sense, and open our hearts to the needs of the people around us. And I pray that you give us courage to do that, to be willing to give, even to the point of pain and difficulty, that we can experience again the great goodness of our God and our Heavenly Father. We thank you for your goodness, your favor, and your faithfulness. We love you. Pray for courage to do what we know we need to do. In Jesus' name we pray.